Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. We're continuing in our series entitled Mission Redemption. And we are following the journey of Jesus on that last leg to the cross. Uh, We have begun in John chapter 15, and we will continue in the Gospel of John all the way to Easter Sunday and the empty tomb. But as we resume the narrative, it is still Thursday night before Friday of crucifixion. Jesus is preparing his disciples for what lies ahead for them. I must give you a note of honesty this morning as I begin this message. I and every other pastor in America would like to bring you nothing but positive, encouraging, and uplifting messages. And there are a few pastors that choose to preach only those things that can be that way because it makes us feel better. There's much encouragement to be had in our life with Christ. But if we are to teach and preach the whole counsel of God, if we start at a specific point in Scripture and move to another point in Scripture, often there is a passage that brings not a message of encouragement, but a message of warning a message of truth. And the passage and the message today is one of those. It may be one of the most important ones I've preached in a long time, but it will be a challenge to hear, but I encourage you to take it to heart. In order for us to be the ambassadors and the witnesses for Christ that we as Christ followers want to be, we must be aware of the contrast between the kingdom of God that we represent and the culture of the world in which we live. Uh, One of my heroes in the faith is a man named Dr. Russell Moore. Uh, Dr. Moore is the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and he has written a recent book entitled, Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. It is a powerful truth, and I want you to hear just a brief quote from Dr. Moore's book. Listen closely to these words. Quote, The world around us, the cultural matrix we inhabit, is alien to the kingdom of God with different priorities, different strategies, and a different view of the future. If we don't see that we are walking a narrow and counterintuitive road, we will have nothing distinctive to say because we will have forgotten who we are. Dr. Moore went on to say this, we are no longer a moral majority. We are now a prophetic minority. We should not be surprised by this as we read the scripture because we live in a fallen world and the natural inclination of the unredeemed is to love darkness more than light. 
Jesus told us this in John's gospel earlier, all the way back in chapter 3. Look at his words, John 3, beginning with verse 19. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. We must understand that there is a distinct divide between the worldview of the Bible-believing Christ follower and the individual who is not a Christ follower. There is a stark contrast between what the Scripture teaches to be truth and what the culture accepts as a norm. We live in a world that will only get darker without the light of Jesus. And so what does this mean for us? It means that if one is a Christ follower who believes the Bible is true, who takes the teaching of Scripture seriously, that there will be issues over which you will find yourselves at odds with those who do not hold to the Scripture as the source of truth. Now, before I identify some of these issues, I think it's very important for me to say this, and I want you to hear me clearly. When you find yourself involved in a conversation or a discussion or even a debate with someone who holds an opposing view to Scripture, it is absolutely essential that we do not enter into that kind of conversation with an arrogant or a condescending or a judgmental attitude. Because if we were to do that, we would be adopting the approach of the Pharisees rather than the Spirit of Jesus. And anyone to whom we engage should be treated with kindness and dignity and respect, even if we passionately disagree. Because if we do not engage people with that Christ-like spirit, we have absolutely no hope of persuading them of the Scripture being true. And every person that we would speak to, regardless of the difference we would hold based on Scripture, is a person whom God loves, a person for whom Christ died, a person to whom we are charged to take the gospel. So with that in mind... I want to make you aware of some issues common in our culture today, issues that the culture accepts and even affirms, but the Scripture teaches the opposite. Here's one. Culture affirms homosexuality as common and virtuous, that it is to be accepted. It's to be even 
affirmed, the culture would, would say. And to speak in a, an opposite opinion to that uh, is, is not received well. It is not accepted. And mark my words, it will very soon be deemed illegal. Well, here's another one. Culture affirms sexual activity outside of marriage as acceptable. Scripture teaches that that level of intimacy should only be between a husband and a wife in marriage. And yet it is common in the culture and sadly even in the church all too often for couples to live together with that kind of intimate relationship without the bond of marriage. Well, here's perhaps the biggest of all the ones that I'll mention. Culture affirms abortion as a moral option rather than adoption. They look upon it as acceptable, even a a right. And I want you to think about this. In the almost 50 years since Roe v. Wade... Some 62 million plus babies have been aborted within the wombs of their mother. Now just wrap your mind around that. 62 million. That 62 million Americans, the vast majority of which would be alive today, were it not for their lives having been taken through abortion. And where our culture is moving is not further away from that, but closer to that. Our culture is moving, and powerful leaders in governmental authority are moving our culture so that abortion will be available at any time from conception to birth for any reason or no reason, and that if a young woman cannot afford to pay for abortion, that that abortion would be paid for by taxpayer dollars. Even though many of those dollars came from Christ followers like many of us who have a passionate moral objection to what we see as unscriptural genocide within the womb of the mother. And yet to speak out against it is not acceptable in the culture. And the the great tragedy is that those babies, had they been allowed to live to birth, could have been placed if the mother was unable or unwilling to parent the child, that child could have been placed in a loving, stable family through adoption. And yet, in 2020, the leading cause of death was not COVID or cancer. It was abortion. Well, let me name just one more. The culture affirms the right of government to infringe on religious liberty more and more. Uh, the, The idea of the separation of church and state has been turned on its head. 
It has come to mean the exclusion of expressions of faith in the public square. That was not its original intent. The original intent of separation of church and state was to prevent the state from infringing upon the rights of the church and the people of God's church. It was meant so that you and I collectively as a church and you and I as individual Christ followers could express what we deeply believe based on Scripture as well as those of other religions to have that same right without the infringement of government. But more and more, we're moving to the point where the government is moving into areas to restrict the operation of God's church and to force individual Christ followers to live their lives and to run their businesses in ways that are contrary to their deeply held biblical convictions. And I could go on and on. You understand the kind of issues I'm talking about. What I'm trying to say is that as a Christ follower living in a continually, increasingly secularized culture, that if we take a stand, even with all the grace that God can give us the power to express... We're going to be criticized, we're going to be maligned, or even persecuted. Now, all that sounds like bad news, but let me give you some good news in our big idea for today. You can face persecution with courage and confidence. And I want you to see it in our passage today. We're in John chapter 15. The words of Jesus, as recorded by the Apostle John, were beginning in verse 18. Here's what Jesus said. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. We hear that and we wonder, okay, what's the answer? Should we live like the Amish? Should we just kind of seclude ourselves and separate us from the culture and the population around us? Well, if we did that, how would we ever win anyone to faith in Christ? No, that's not the answer. We must live in the world without falling in love with the world. And in doing so, Jesus told us what to expect. Verse 20. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures They hated me without cause. Now, I want to remind you of the 
the setting, the cultural and, and historical context of John's writing here. John is writing his gospel around A.D. 90, decades after he had heard Jesus speak and he walked with Jesus upon the earth. During the time in between, everything in the book of Acts has taken place. All of the persecution of the pioneers of the early church, Peter and Paul and Stephen and others, all of that has happened And so John at A.D. 90 is writing in light of what the church in his time, those decades after Christ's ministry on the earth, was experiencing. And what was that? William Barclay in his classic New Testament commentary gives us great insight of the church of John's day. Listen closely. He said, quote, We must remember that by this time the church was living under the constant threat of persecution. Christians were indeed persecuted because of the name of Christ. Christianity was illegal in Rome and in the Roman Empire of the time. A magistrate needed only to ask whether or not a man was a Christian, and if he was, no matter what he had done or not done, he was subject to punishment by death. John was speaking of a situation which then existed in the most clear-cut and agonizing way, end quote. Now, that was persecution then. Let's think about persecution now. When I, when I talk about persecution that we might experience, I'm talking about those who are basically innocent parties. They are guilty of, of nothing. People who uh, are, are not seeking to be argumentative, but they're seeking to engage their culture with as much grace as they know how, not seeking to do harm to anyone, but simply to, to tell the truth. And yet we find that there, would, there will be those who will perse- persecute us. So how do we engage with those who would do evil to us or to at least cause us pain simply because we believe the Scripture? Well, the Apostle Paul knew more about persecution than any of us ever will. Here's what he taught us about that in Romans 12, verses 17 and 18. Look at the verses on the screen. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can. You can't control how someone else's responds, but do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And we hear that and we think about how to respond to people who would seek to do evil to us or, or speak in cruel and mean and degrading ways to us and to respond in a Christ-like way, how, how do we do that? That's, that's almost impossible. And Jesus would say, oh, you need to understand, I'm not leaving you to do that alone. Back to our, our text, John 15, verse 26. Jesus said, but I will send you the advocate, 
the Spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. How can we respond with courage and grace under the fire of persecution? We do so through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our minds, and in our words. Words like Jesus spoke from the cross about the very ones who nailed him there when he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Why would Jesus feel that it was so important to warn his disciples and to warn us about persecution. Continue the narrative into John chapter 16, verse 1. He said, I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. And then he gave a warning to the disciples. He said, for you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. You know, I heard those words at the end of that verse. Those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. Doesn't that remind you of radical Muslim extremists of our day? To do evil to the people of God thinking they're doing service And indeed, they are to a false god. We hear Jesus' words about possible martyrdom to the disciples, and we think, well, that's that's just early church stuff. That's not something that's really happening today, is it? I want you to hear just a, a brief excerpt from a report by Dr. Todd Johnson who's professor of global missions and Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Here's what his report says about martyrdom. Listen, quote, We estimate more than 70 million Christians have been martyred over the last 2,000 years, more than half of which died in the 20th century under fascist and communist regimes. We also estimate that one million Christians died between 2001 and 2010, and another 900,000 were killed from 2011 to 2020. It's still happening today. So does this mean that you and I might lose our lives, that we might be martyred for the faith? It could. We pray not. But here's what is certain. Persecution will come to any Christ follower who is courageous enough to take a stand for what the Scripture teaches but is contrary to culture. We will be opposed by those who do not believe. Jesus went on to say in verse 3, this is because they have never known the Father or me. And in verse 4, John recounts the words that Jesus said decades earlier when Jesus said, verse 4, yes, I'm telling you these things now 
so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Now that's the end of our passage for today, but I've got to skip ahead just a little bit and give you one more verse from John chapter 16. We'll see it again in a couple of weeks, but, but this verse is so rich and so encouraging. Look with me at John 16, 33. Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You see, knowing that persecution is coming must not cause us to fear, but to put on the armor of God to fight the battles. The Apostle Paul challenged the early church in Ephesus and us in Ephesians Chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, look at it with me quickly and take these words to heart. Paul said, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now listen to this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Is this just our generation? No. It's been every generation of Christ's followers, and it will be until Jesus comes again. I love the lyrics of an old hymn written by Isaac Watts in 1724. Listen. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? Or shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, surrounded by thy word. May we have that kind of resolve. Let me give you one next step, one challenge to take away 
from the truth of Scripture this morning. Expect persecution. Expect persecution and prepare yourself by donning the undergarment of grace and the outer protection of the armor of God. If we will do this, my Christ follower friends, then in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can face persecution with courage and confidence. Let's pray together. Father, we expect persecution if we stand for you and for the truth of Scripture. Sometimes that persecution will come from strangers in the culture. Sometimes it will come from our own family members who don't understand a conviction of holding to the timeless truth of Scripture when the culture is moving further and further away from it in so many ways. Help us, Lord, to have as our standard the truth of God's Word woven into the fabric of our everyday lives. May our morality, our ethics, our compassion, our kindness and love be rooted in our understanding of what Scripture teaches us about living in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.